Hello and welcome back to Bold of You to Say. Today we have a very special episode. Instead of sitting down in the studio like normal, we went out and we sat down with Jamie Donnelly and we talked about her career as an actress. She's best known as Jan from Greece, and she was also in the Roxy cast for Rocky Horror Picture Show, or as it was called on Broadway, the Rocky Horror Show. She played Magenta and Usherette, as well as singing science fiction double feature, the opening, in the Roxy album. She was also an acting coach for many years, and now she is a judge for the Frankfurt 48 Film Contest, among other things. And that's what she happened to be in town for. Her husband happened to be in the room for the first bit of it, so I asked a little bit about their life together and how they met. But anyway, we got to sit down and talk to her, and it was a very fun interview, and I hope you like it. So, first of all, how did you two meet? Oh, Stephen and I. Well, it, it's kind of a classic because we met at a Hollywood party. Stephen, at that point, didn't know that it was just getting his feet wet in Hollywood, although he's older than I am. And, uh, and But we were at a party, and they had, this is kind of funny because they had, it was 4th of July, so our anniversary 41 years ago. Is that right, Stephen? 41? Yeah, some. July 4th. On July 4th, it'll be 41 years. And he was not, didn't like Hollywood. Stephen loves the wilderness. And we later moved to Montana and the wildest places you can be. But uh, he was on his way through Hollywood where they were trying to snag him to write movies. And he was on his way to Alaska to be dropped into the wilderness. And I was at a. I was living in Beverly Hills in Hollywood, with the person who's always been my best girlfriend and family, and it was a great Fourth of July. And I thought, well, I've got to see fireworks. And they were out by the ocean in Santa Monica, California, and I wanted to watch the fireworks. And all my friends said, "Oh, do you want to?" fight the traffic all the way out to the fireworks. Why? We're having a great day here. I just want to see the fireworks. It's the 4th of July. And my friend Penny, who was going out with a guy named John Taplin, who was the producer of so many things, uh, started as Bob Dylan's road manager. And by this time, then he got to know um, the band and produced The Last Waltz, early Martin Scorsese. Anyway, he was a friend of ours. He was a friend of Stephen's and mine. He was trying to talk Stephen into being a screenwriter. And Stephen, Stephen, to me, so my friend said, why do you don't want to go out to the, there? Stay where we are. You know, don't go out. He said, no, I really want to go out to the party because I want to see the fireworks. Stephen, on the other hand, John Taplin, he said, I don't want to go to a Hollywood party. I don't, he's not as social as me. Said, I don't want to go to a Hollywood party. And his friend John Taplin said, Steve, come on, there's going to be a couple of wild women there who are up, wild actresses who are up for anything. And Stephen said, Oh, maybe I'll come. And in that case, I think, I think I'll show up. And I didn't know that I was being advertised in such a fashion. Um, but that's how he wound up coming to the party, was looking for these wild actresses who were up for anything. <laughs> and all I was looking for was a view of the good view of the fireworks. But uh, he went from there off to Alaska. And, and uh, well, 
it took it took a while, you know, after Stephen and I were first I I met him that night. He says that he felt like he knew that I was the one Aww. the minute that he saw me in the door. And he always says, and I know that you felt the same way too, but I didn't really because I just felt like when I spent time with him, just sitting and talking to him that night, I thought, I like this person too much to have him be like a date or a boyfriend because I tended to get tired of people kind of quickly and... I wanted him to be my friend because to me, being a friend is is much higher category than a guy that you're dating, in my opinion, at that time. And so I just looked in his eyes and I saw kindness and I saw intelligence and I really... I, <laughs> see, we're coming from different places. At least he's places. honest. We're coming from different places, you can tell. And I, and, and I thought, you know, this is the kind of person... I'd like to have as my friend for a long time mm-hmm. and not date him for a couple of weeks and then say, how do I get rid of this person now? And I thought, I want to make a friend here. That's what I want him to be is my friend for life. And 41 years, it's gone pretty well. But at first, we, I thought, what is this? I feel like there's more here than anything I've ever been involved in. And and he he, uh, he he liked it that I felt that way, but I, I thought this has got to be work because I was into work. I had started working way, while before, like you, Alex, I, I was working when I was even in, by the time I was 14, I was really new what path I was on and that I, I had written and, and uh, the music and the book uh, and started a musical in my school when I was 10, by the time I was 14, I was feeling like, why am I not working professionally? I'm just spinning my wheels here. And, and by the time I was 17, I was on Broadway because I had such a drive and such an interest in work. But that's what I wanted to do. So I thought, if this guy is compelling to me, it must mean that we're supposed to be working together. And we, so I started writing with him. And we were writing collaborators for 13 years. During that time, and not too far along, um, we were doing a movie. We were writing a movie. The music was The Eagles, who wrote Desperado. Oh, I love The Eagles. Wow. Well, this was for the album Desperado. They had the rights to that. The guy who was the director was going to be Frank Pearson, who had been the president of the Writers Guild and had won an Academy Award for uh, writing... Cat Baloo, and so here we were, here I was trying to act like I was a writer when I was kind of new to it, but it was Stephen that they'd hired, but he said, you can write with me, but you can't, I don't want you to run off and do an acting job while we're writing, and I said, okay, that's not a problem for me, and he said, then let's go to Montana, because he had just bought a place in Montana, and we went to write in Montana, and I thought that might last We'd write it in a month, maybe. We were on the project for three years. Wow. And, and uh, by that time, I had kind of let go of acting more, gotten more involved with Stephen. We were living a life um, where we had horses and were surrounded by a uh, natural wilderness in Montana that had was a 2.3 million acre wilderness 
territory. And our, our place was, you know, nothing like that size, but surrounded on three sides by that. And Stephen bought me a horse who was pregnant, and I had a foal and had to learn how to train horses. I didn't know the horse was pregnant. <laughs> <And> we, <laughs> did you know you were going to have another guest on the show? <laughs> no, I'm not going to say anything. Hey, you're a welcome addition. No, no, no. This is I would have brought more water. <laughs> no, I'm not, I don't really want to do it. I don't. This is for Jay. All right. Okay. So, with the, so the, that that's how the writing got underway. Sadly, the movie was never made. Oh. Um, the politics, all the big shots that were involved, that made it seem like, oh, this is definitely going to happen, meant that there was a lot of infighting and politics. And and um, after the three years were over, and they didn't make the movie, but I had learned an enormous amount. Um, I had never been really. I, I, I'd written a little bit on and off, but I had never been in the position to have that responsibility. And Stephen is a very good teacher, too. He, he had been a teacher of writing at um, University of uh, Connecticut, University of West Virginia, and I, I had no education of that kind at all. So I learned a lot about writing, and I really learned that this was my life partner, and by the time... We'd finished working on that project. I think we were married by then. It only took two years till we wound up married. Wow. And that's how it all started. Yeah. So you have a lot of uh, background in this area in northern Michigan, from what I remember from the last yes. time we talked. Um, so can you uh, tell us a bit about that? Tell the audience about that? Yes, I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah. My earl earliest experiences in Michigan were wonderful summers that I spent working at a theater in Whitehall, Montague. You guys know where that is? It's north of Muskegon. It's on Lake Michigan. So it's probably not that far from here, is it? From Franklin? Do you know where Muskegon is? I don't think it's too far. Yeah, well, it's... There's Grand Rapids, and then there's Muskegon, and then I think the next big one is Traverse City. So it's it's not far from here, very similar feeling place. And there was a playhouse there called White Lake Playhouse. I was uh, probably about 14, 15 years old, but like you, Alex, I was already completely into this. And uh, I had auditioned for a company that... Uh, that was produced out of New York City. And the producer told my father, because my father came along not wanting me to even get the job, I don't think, because I don't think he wanted me to run off with a band of actors to some far-off state. But the producer said, I have a daughter who is going to be in the company who's a year younger than Jamie is, and they can room together, and I'll keep my eye on them. Well, fortunately, then he never did keep his eye on us. <laughs> but she, I thought, oh well, I'll just be, I'll, you know, I'll get to know her. But I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm going to want a room with this girl. And it turned out that she was. I, she walked in the door, and I thought, this is a movie star. And in fact, she became a movie star later. But she became my best friend, and is still my best girlfriend to this time. So her father was the producer. The theater was called the White Lake Playhouse. It was in Whitehall, Montague. 
and it was the most fun that I had had up until that point. We did 10 musicals during the course of the summer, and so you'd be rehearsing one show while you were putting another one on, and we would put them up, and they would be fully choreographed, and they were wonderful shows. I did shows like uh, Bye Bye Birdie, if you know uh, that we one. We did that for our high school musical uh, four years ago. Right. So you know Kim McAfee? She's the girl who yeah. sings, How lovely to be a woman. And she's 16. And, and, and one boy, one special boy. And I sang that too. And that was one of the roles I did. And we did a, musicals all summer long. And that's what I loved. And, you know, we were too young to drive around or, and worked, worked, worked too hard to be exploring too much. But every so often we'd get a chance to go out and sit on the dunes overlooking the Lake Michigan. And just the feeling of this area and this place was so light, so refreshing. I, I grew up in New Jersey and New York, and, and it was much more intense. And, and up here, it was just so beautiful. And I was doing what I loved to do. And it was my, I, I think it was right around that time that I got a union card and became a professional actress. And it was just a great time. And, you know, to meet, to meet the friends that I met there, I have found that one of the most exciting and rewarding things about this work is the people that you meet along the way and the companies that you get involved in and the partnerships like my marriage like this one that's my 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 girlfriend uh brooke her name is brooke adams and uh maybe some of the listeners will remember she was a movie star in the 1970s she did a movie that was highly acclaimed on an artistic level by Terry Malick called Days of Heaven. And she was the female star, and it was a love triangle with Richard Gere and Sam Shepard, who were both young in the business at the same time. And Terry is a beautiful filmmaker, and if you've never seen Days of Heaven, I would recommend it to you. But then she went on to star over the title with uh, Donald Sutherland in um, The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh and a couple of others with Chris Walken over the title in The Dead Zone, uh, with Sean Connery over the title in a movie called Cuba. So the 70s were a big period for both Brooke and me as actresses because uh, the best-known things that I did were in the late 60s and through the 1970s. And we stayed as best friends through that time. And to this day, she, she wrote a play um, last year, and we did a small production of it on the East Coast at Martha's Vineyard, and I got to star in it with her husband, who is Tony Shaloub, if you know who he is. He was Monk on the television series Monk. Oh, I've, I've heard of that. Yeah. Now, now he's on a series that's called The uh, Amazing Mrs. Maisel. Oh, I know that show. He's the, the dad. Oh, that guy. That guy. Oh. And you know he's in a lot of movies. You've seen yeah. him. One that I like especially is called The Big Night. But um, that one is less well-known except by big film buffs. But he's been in a lot of well-known movies like uh, Galaxy Quest. Uh, I've seen that. You know who he is yet? Have you guessed um, which one he is? I think so. Um, I mean, he, he's, he works all the time. Anyway, he married her. At, uh, this was many years later. Um, and, and he played my husband in this, in this uh, 
small, smaller stage reading that we did of her play this year, but we're still playing. We're still working on acting. Um, we had a, a theater company in the 1980s that Brooke and her sister Lynn, who had been a soap opera star, uh, and Stephen and I started a theater company for creating new plays at a place that we still have our home today, which is in the Northern Catskills in New York State, um, about two and a half hours north of New York City. And that place held uh, over 40 actors for breakfast, lunch, and dinner as we developed new plays there for a couple of years in the 1980s. And so, you know, what I, what I guess I started to say is that it's the relationships that you have that are almost, I think, more important than the projects. The pro It's always, as Shakespeare would say, the play is the thing, or the movie's the thing in, in some cases, but, but really it's the relationships that really keep you in it and that help you to get through the, uh, the roller coaster ride that it can sometimes be. You know, people... People see your work and they just assume that it's all gone so well for you. But for there are a lot of the years that it doesn't go well at all. And, uh, you know, you never know what is going to happen in your life. And it's the relationships with people that sustain you more than the projects that you can make into notches on your belt, you know. So, and that's why it's really nice to, even today, now that I'm, really older I'll, why don't I just say really old um, to to get to know you Alex because now what was was last year your first year on uh, Frankfurt 48 yeah it was yes but we recognized your talent and your professionalism at such a young age and your commitment to it and your openness and also your fun and a really great guy and, I'll second that. <laughs> and that and that and your work was really uh, compelling because you have your own voice as a writer you take risks in the stuff that you do and you seem to really just embrace it and have such a good time with it yeah. which I have found is something that people like to see and a lot of the time when you go out into the world they're really looking for other people they want to work with as much as they're looking for anything else. So the fact that you were open, and we kind of created a new category for you at the Frankfurt 48 by suggesting that working with the judges, you might be able to come back and bring the same work that you had done the first week and enhance it with the, uh, the notes from experienced professionals and you jumped on that and you did an amazing job it was great to see that and here we are doing this today which is really fun so here you are I'm still finding wonderful people as I go along and it's still part of what makes it so much fun for me yeah uh, it's such a such an interesting career path like film and writing the, you know the those kinds of arts yes because it's not like other forms of work in the sense that, like, for me, at least, uh, I don't think of it as, like, writing and, like, professional stuff. I just, for my whole life, I've liked making people laugh. Yes. Um, ever since I was, like, a little kid, I liked making adults laugh. And so I just see, like, writing, like, little videos 
as just another way of doing that. It doesn't feel like a job, but it is a career path. Yes. Well, you have to take it seriously while you don't take yourself too seriously. Exactly. Right? Right. And, And I think, yeah, the fact that you're funny, I feel like that is such a gift that we can bring if we have the ability to do that in this world. Because we all need a good laugh. I'll give you an example. Of course, you know, Grease is the most well-known thing that I was ever in, the movie Grease. And during the 9-11 attacks in New York City, I read an article in the New York Times that was, at that time, nobody knew why it happened, if it was going to happen again. There was a lot of fear in New York City. And they were asking people, how did they get through what sustained them during those days. And people said watching movies that were a comfort to them. And they named three movies. I don't remember the other two, but I certainly remember that Greece was one of them. And it was something that soothed people through a terrifying time Mm -hmm. in their lives. And I've met people, and you know, you're talking about laughter. For me, that's really... I'm always, when people say, sometimes people say, which one was, was was she again? Which of the pink ladies? And sometimes people will say, she was the funny one. And I think, <laughs> yay, that's what, the, you know, because it, the whole thing is funny. Mm-hmm. But to be called the funny one makes me so happy, knowing that any given day in the world, there is somebody somewhere who's having a good laugh at me being silly. And I feel like I've had the opportunity to kind of lighten the world in a way, you know? And I love to do drama. This movie that I just did here in Michigan uh, last month um, is not a million laughs. It's, uh, it's, 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 I think you'd call it a psychological thriller, and I play a very scary character. And that's fun for me, too. Uh, And I found that the older I get, Sometimes the heavier the roles are that I play. But my favorite thing, like you, is to give people a good laugh. I love it when people sing along. I'm going to, this next week, I'm, I'm going to California because I'll often go to where they do sing-alongs of Greece. And I go, get up in front of it, and people are singing along and laughing out loud. And I think, what a gift to have had the opportunity to be able to get people laughing and get them happy because... I don't think there's any day that people don't need some good laughs. Of course. Yeah, there's no greater compliment for people like us than being called the funny one. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like, I, you know, it's like, oh, and then somebody will say, well, Dinah was the sexy one. And it's like, yeah, I didn't even think about that. You know, it's not, maybe I might have that quality at some time, but it's the part about being funny. That, that that feels good to people like us, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the most consistent things that can, like one of the most consistent aspects about a person. It doesn't change much, you know, unless you have some kind of like personality change, but, you know, you can get older and still be funny. Mm-hmm. Well, someone who's like the sexy one might not have that quality, you know, forever. That's right. That's right. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing to be able to do it. I've, I've wondered sometimes, why is it some of us have the ability to make something funny when other people don't? And one of the things I think about, not that it would make it happen, but I think how you're raised has a lot to do with it. Yeah, definitely. And, and definitely. People with funny yeah. parents 
totally. tend to be yes. funny. And parents who put a value on being funny and telling a good story. <laughs> I had that in my family. People, you know, there was, I had a sister and then finally a little brother and a mother and father and a grandmother who would all sit around the table. And everybody wanted to take stage in a way and have the best story and get a laugh. And we never said it, but when I've been in other houses, it's not like that. You know, there are places where people sit quietly, eat their meal, go back to their computer. That's not the way that I grew up. I grew up with people who, if you could get a good laugh from everybody at the table, you could digest your meal a lot more happily. It yeah. was just it just lightened our lives and our days. And I tried to do that with my own children because I think that's how you get that way. And when I meet people who are funny, like let's even say Tony Shalhoub, who's really funny. You said you watch him on Maisel. Mm-hmm. He's really funny. Yeah, he's super funny. <laughs> He is really oh good at his, it. His character in that show, he, he talks how I think, yeah. you know? I love it. But Tony has I, nine, I think, brothers and sisters. He grew up right across Lake Michigan in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. And when you meet those people, they've all got a good story. They're all funny. And I don't think it's just in the genes. I think it's in the appreciation. You know, some some families, and understandably so, it's like, whether you had high grades is the thing, you know, whether you are able to be a, uh, stick to a task and, you know, maybe be able to do, um, do it yourself things around the house. And I mean, I never learned to do a lot of things that if I'd had those parents, I might've been able to do, but I certainly learned to be more entertaining and, and, and and bring a lighter touch because of the way I was raised. And I thought your mother is, I've met her twice yeah. now, and she's like that, and she appreciates your humor. She doesn't just act like, well, he's funny, but, you know, what good is that going to do you? And a lot of people are like that. Sure, you're entertaining, but what's that? Is That's not going to pay the rent. Well, as it turns out, it did, you know, <laughs> it did, and sometimes barely, sometimes well, mm-hmm. but staying true to who you are, and I think if that's encouraged, it really helps, and I'm, I think you're you're lucky that way, too, because your mother really appreciates your sense of humor, and she's funny, too. Yeah, she is. She's like a comedian that never went to an open mic. Yeah. I Like, she tells me a lot of, like, funny stories from work, from, like, back in the day, and they're all just hilarious, and, you know, she always has, like... Like, in the story, she's always said, like, the funniest things. Like, made the people around her laugh. Yeah. And I just, sometimes I think she could have, if she wanted to, if she tried to do it, she could have made a career out of, you know, being a comedian or being, like, an actress in, like, comedy movies. Yes. But where did she grow up? Uh, like, in, in the area. Yeah. Like, she went to Grand Rapids when she, like, after she graduated high school, and then eventually she came back up here. But, mm-hmm. yeah, she's always been in this area. Well, I think there's a lot more happening here now than there was when she was young. It feels to me like there's a burgeoning film community here and that you are right in on the ground floor of what's happening here. And that's great. Um, but I was lucky because I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, it's called the Palisades. They're cliffs across the Hudson River that you can look right at New York City, right across the way, probably... It's so near and yet so far because it's probably less than three miles 
with a steady view right over to the skyscrapers of New York City. But there is a river in between you, so that it, for me, it kind of gave me the incentive to think, I want to get to the other side of the river, and I want to be a part of that world, and I went to see Broadway shows when I was young, and I saw what kids were doing, and I thought, I could do that. I know I could do that. And so I had that advantage. Um, I think it would be a lot harder to connect to it if you were, if you grew up so far away from the main centers of entertainment. But now, with internet and, you know, doing things like you're doing right now, doing yeah. podcasts and, and uh, web series and, and low-budget films. I mean, they didn't, yeah. you, you know, you could make a movie on your iPhone now and you needed, uh, you needed professional equipment to do anything when I was young. So it didn't occur to people, I think, that they could do it. I was lucky that I was kind of well positioned to believe that I could do it, but I don't think anything would have stopped me anyway, because I was a very driven kid. Um, yeah. Despite like all, all of your interest in, in the film industry and all the uh, you know all of your interest, were there any points in, in in your journey where you you thought you had some doubts or you know doubts yeah. about I, I don't think uh I've definitely had doubts about myself. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think we all go through that, you know, really wondering. You know, people have different times in their lives, too. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I just even people who aren't in entertainment, you know, I, I sometimes think some people who are always seem like they're first graders. Some people always seem like adolescents. Some people always seem like old people in the way that they think. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are certain seasons of our lives that are, um, that fit us so well Mm -hmm. that it's easier to be successful in Mm -hmm. those times. And it's very hard for women, especially as you hit around, even in your thirties in Hollywood, um, 40s and 50s, if you look at movies, it's changing a little bit now, but the roles get boring. You know, there's not the, they're, they're not as much fun. Yeah, like playing the mom. Yeah, and the mom may not be a very interesting character. They're not usually featured as the person whose story, the person you're really going to care about. Yeah, it's always like, this is the mother. Her characteristic is she has kids. Right. She takes care of them. Yeah. So, I mean, in those years, fortunately in those years, I was first uh, writing, and then I moved into coaching. I don't know if you are aware of that, but... uh, we have children, and we actually adopted our children when I was 40 years old, our first child, um, both of them from Medellin, Colombia, which was at the time the highest homicide per capita in the whole world. It was a dangerous place to go to, and among other things, it seemed like, I don't know if this is right to say, but if you're going to take somebody into your family, it would be good to take them out of a place where they're in danger. And it was kind of a dangerous place. And so that became very consuming. And, you know, to be an actress, it it helps if you have a, some narcissism in you. And I don't have a whole lot of that, um, which these days I don't feel so bad about because we are understanding more and more how toxic it can be to be a narcissist. But 
um, once I, I had children, I became more other-directed, and it was around that time. I also had the disappointment of going back to Hollywood and realizing that I wanted to go back to acting again and going to my man, my agent and saying, okay, I'm ready to go again, and then coming back to me three weeks later and saying, we've decided that we can't represent you. And I was devastated to hear that, These, this this man who was the head of the agency used to take me to lunch every month and all of a sudden and his excuse I mean was he said you know I have other people your age that I've been representing the whole time and to bring you back in again when they're having trouble getting work because there's not as much for your age range now and I don't want to uh, I don't want to get your hopes up so no and I love you too much to take you on and they say these kind of things to you, like, I love you too much, which only makes you want to cry. <laughs> and so I went home and I was crying, and I thought, I can't do this. I, I, I probably could have gone and gotten another agent, but, you know, we had children then, and I did, thought, I can't be crying. Mommy, what's wrong? The agency didn't want me. You know, I didn't get the part. I, I just didn't think that that was the thing to do, and I was fortunate this is actually a little bit of a long story, but uh, someone I knew, because of the preschool that our son was in, had a daughter who was an actress who was 10 years old. And the mother didn't know much about the business, uh, but she did know um, her daughter got into a movie, and she said, should I let her do this movie? It was a movie, maybe you guys would know, it was called Three Ninjas. It was the first John Turtletop movie, and it was a young people's movie. I said, couldn't hurt. Uh, have her do it. She was fired after the first week's shooting, and her mother called and said, they can't do that. They can't do that to a 10-year-old. And I said, they can. This is how this business is. And she said, I can't even tell her father. I said, come over, have her talk to me. And I told her a story that I'll tell you in a minute if you want to hear it. But... I, it was encouraging to the girl. Got her through the moment. A week later, they fired the girl they replaced her with and brought her back in again because that's how the business is. Mm -hmm. It's like a roller coaster, mm -hmm. especially once you get rolling. You think, if I can just get that first good break, then I'm set. No, it's not like that. It's almost like then you've had even more of a taste for it. You know what you can do, and when you can't get it, it's even more frustrating. But I, her mother said, you helped her. Will you help her with an audition? And I did. She said, she put some money in my hand. And I said, no, no, no. I've always helped my friends. And she said, Jamie, you're better than all the coaches that I've hired for her. And you ought to be doing this. And it seemed like it wasn't. She introduced me to some managers and agents. And I started working as a, an acting coach. And... Much to my surprise, I became in demand before long. And the more work I did at it, the more I worked till I got to a point where I was the top coach for the Fox television network and worked for CBS and Warner Brothers and on features. And I became uh, a pretty successful acting coach, guiding young people particularly, but sometimes they were older people. Sometimes a full cast of a show, sometimes one person in a show. And so I had a good 20, 25 years of coaching more than anything else as a career. 
And over and over again, people would say, wait a second, aren't you? And I would say, no, no, look at how great he is. But deflect the attention <laughs> yeah. onto somebody else. And they'd say, why don't you audition? And it was just not confusing to people. And just like people would say, I, a couple of times people would come on and say, are you the director? And I think, oh, don't say that out loud, or the director's going to be very threatened, but I'm just working on performance. I don't work on anything but performance. Um, but I did do that, and I had to kind of distance myself from it, and when they'd say, are you going to, would you, wouldn't, wouldn't you do a role? I'd say, nope, not what I do anymore. So that it wouldn't confuse me or anybody else. Except like once in a while, there was a movie that I worked on I think you guys are a little young to remember it. It was a teen movie in the 1990s, and it was called Can't Hardly Wait. Ethan Embry was the star, and I was his coach, and Peter Facinelli was in it. I was his coach. And one, one night, they were shooting on set, and there was a scene, and the directors, there were two, turned around, and I was standing behind them uh, looking at a monitor, watching Ethan's performance, and they said, you know, this is supposed to be an homage to the movie Grease. I don't know whether you've ever seen Grease or the scene where Olivia Newton-John is at a pajama party and she throws a, a, a letter into the water. That's why we have him throwing the letter. To you. Did you ever see the Someone scene? Someone said that to you. Yeah, the directors. <laughs> I was the coach. They have you ever seen the they scene They said, did you, you ever see in? the scene? And I said, I was at the pajama party. He said, What? I said, I was, I was at the pajama party. And they said, no, no, my gosh, Did you're you have a to jam? Show picture side by no, side. they got it right away. You know what I do? I just say, imagine the black bangs, the ponytails, and then I go, pressure, pressure, pressure. <laughs> like that. And they go, oh my God, right? And, and they said, the, they, the next day they said, we've got to have you in the movie. The reason we wrote this movie is we love Greece. And will you just be the teacher who introduces Jennifer Love Hewitt, was the actress, into the scene, into the movie? And both you'll, Ethan will be in the scene, and Peter Facinelli will be in the scene. And I said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do, I'll do it this one day. And, and, and so I did. And it's a very small part, but they rack in on my face really closely. And it was fun because when they had the first screening for the cast, everybody cheered. It was like, oh, thank you, thank you. It, but, but I doubt that the audience even knew. So I would do something like that, a funny little cameo here and there, but I really, I really didn't go for it as an actress. And in a way, it was a betrayal of myself, but it was in the interest of other parts of my life mm -hmm. that were more important at the time. And I don't think it was a time that I could have uh, you know, I might have been able to do a television series, but honestly, I'm not a fast worker, and I wasn't as comfortable on camera as I was on stage. I, I don't know if you know, but I did a lot of Broadway musicals when I was, once I started at 17, I got to do some stuff that people who are, you know, real musical theater buffs know, um, I mean, I, the thing that you guys probably know that was was one of the most fun things I ever did was uh, the Rocky Horror Show. I love that. Yeah. I love that movie so much. Well, I didn't do the movie, but the American production, stage production, which was before the movie, with Tim Curry, I was the original Magenta. I was the American Magenta. And I also, in the play, 
my character, I played two characters, Magenta, throughout, which was a much better part in the play because I was almost always on stage and had more to do. And I played very well with Tim, and I adored Tim. And and uh, then the opening song, Science Fiction, yeah. and the, at the end I sang the reprise of Science Fiction as a character called Trixie. And people loved this, my version of it. And they, I called her Trixie because we played at the Roxy. So if you ever have the chance, um, you have to listen to the Rocky Horror Roxy album. It's called, the album is the Roxy album. The same producer, Lou Adler, who was a record producer, so it's very high quality. And you can hear me singing science fiction double feature. And that was kind of a, a signature thing for me in the 1970s. And then the movie came out, and it was it was Pat, the woman who had originated the role in England. They kept all the English, all of the uh, characters who were not specifically American. Brad, Janet, and Eddie were Americans. But the rest of the cast, like my character, came from the planet of transsexual and the galaxy of Transylvania. <laughs> and so they hired now the that's English. that's world building. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they used the uh, English girl uh, actress to play it. But I got to play that for over a year and work with Tim. And I liked doing live theater. I loved being, I loved knowing what I was doing is the truth. I, I think I learned a lot more about film acting, coaching it, mm-hmm. and really understanding what was going on. I mean, one of the things I would do for actors who were kind of hanging out there, having just finished a scene and waiting to hear whether they were moving on or going to stay and do this again, is that the actor is out there thinking, what they did must not have liked it, what did I get, what can I do better, what did I do wrong, when actually they may be back there talking about, I think we need to take lunch early if we're going to make our day. And and I, I, I you're kind of out of control. And when you're in a movie, you don't have the choice of saying, this is the moment I want people to see, but on stage you can do whatever you want. So I loved, I loved that. And um, so it wasn't as hard for me to step away from acting. And I think what I could have done then, what my managers wanted me to do was... Um, to do television series, mm-hmm. like a lot of the people in Greece did. And it really wasn't my where I, I felt like I belonged anyway, so I didn't feel like it was such a betrayal. Mm-hmm. But going to the coaching was better for my marriage. It was better for my children, I think. And uh, I guess it was better for me during that time, but I'm kind of freed up now. So it's fun for me to to get back to acting. And as an old lady, I can be do more fun things. They give you more freedom. You can act much more outrageous and wild. And, um, and I've been able to do that in some of the stuff that I've been doing lately. So uh, uh, the story that I was told the girl... Back in uh, back then, is it also an answer to when you said do you ever have low points where you don't believe in yourself? I was in. I was the first replacement for Jan in the Broadway Company of Greece, and I didn't want to sign a one-year contract, which they were requesting because it was the smallest part I'd ever done on Broadway. I didn't have a well. I had a, a, a duet in the play that I never had in the movie. But I just thought, I'm going to get tired of this after six months and want to move on to something where I can use myself more and better. But at the end of the six-month run, I 
for other personal reasons, thought I'm gonna I'm gonna sign on for the next six months, and I went <clears> to them and said, "Are you cool with that?" And they said yes, and they went away to do the London company. And I got a pink slip in my box saying that I was going to be let go at the end of the six months, and it left me no time to get another job right away. And I had to play out my contract, and they brought the girl who would replace me in to play Frenchie, so I had to play scenes with her. And every time we'd cross over to go from one side of the stage in the back, you know, the people in the cast would look at me like... Uh, you know, I was like, oh, don't look at me like that or I'm, I'm going to feel terrible. Oh, it's got to be such a difficult thing. <sighs> yeah. So difficult. And, and I was kind of heartbroken, humiliated, thought maybe I wasn't so good as I thought I was. And um, I wound up going and doing some other work that was, was pretty good afterwards. But it was a real low point. And the reason this story is even interesting is that it was seven years later when I was called in to do the movie, uh, to, to audition for the movie. And I said, oh, no, I'm not going into audition. I was too old for this when I did it on Broadway. Because, you know, when I made the movie, I was almost 30, playing 15. I didn't know everybody else was also going to be older at that point. But I just felt like I don't want to go back there. They and This was the biggest humiliation of my life being fired from a Broadway show. And my manager, who luckily was also John Travolta's manager, but he said, go in and see. And I went in and they said, what would you want to do? And I said, anything but the part I did before. And they said, sure, read for them all. And then they gave me the role of Jan. And I did it. And as I did the movie, I even thought, okay, fine, but I'm too old. And I, I, and then I had such a good time on set and it was really fun. And I loved that kind of work and it was, it was wonderful, but I didn't know then that it would be the thing I would be most well known for in my life. I thought I would have to be doing a much bigger part in order for people to, to care about it. And, and who knew that something that was just funny yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and entertaining would stand this test of time and that, Instead of every 10 years it being more of a forgotten movie, it's a better-known movie. Mm -hmm. And it taught me a big lesson, and I think it's a big lesson for anybody, that you don't know the significance of what you're doing when you're doing it. It's only in retrospect that you can look back and say, this, oh my gosh, there I was thinking maybe I wasn't that good or good enough. Maybe my jam is... Not, not really worthy. And then later, I'm the only one that people know as Jan. Mm. When the role has been played by hundreds of people since then, it was the longest-running show on Broadway at one time with different replacements coming in. It's been done all over the world. Everybody's done it. And I'm the one people know as Jan. So, so it turned out to be a sunny picture. That's why I told the story to the girl who was fired, because I said, you don't know the big picture. All you know is how you feel today. You don't know how it's going to change. Yeah, very, very rarely do people know when something is going to be yeah. amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. So. And and sometimes you don't even know just afterwards. Sometimes you go back in your life and just say, wow, I just didn't know. Which is why it's always good to appreciate everything that you go through all the time and not think, oh, once I get out of here, then everything will be 
great. Or, you know, just as once I, you know, once I have my, get out of my parents' house or once I, you know, get out of this marriage or once I get out of, uh, school or uh, then, then my life begins. Your life begins in the moment today, everything that you're doing. And it's, you know, it, it sometimes, uh, it doesn't matter where you're doing it. If you're doing what you do, if you are fully using yourself and your gifts and your talents, of course, it would be great to make a lot of money. And of course, it would be great to have a wide audience appreciate it. But the important thing is to be true to what it is that you do and just keep working on that and doing it because it feels the same whether you're performing in front of a small audience or a large audience if it's working. I've worked in, uh, I did a show called George M on Broadway for over a year. Joel Gray, did either of you ever see the movie Cabaret? I don't Musical? He won, I think he won the Academy Award that year for it, but he was, he played George M. Cohan on Broadway and I played his wife for over a year. And uh, I went back and did it once at the St. Louis, St. Louis Municipal Opera House, which was the biggest theater that I've ever been in. It was like an outdoor amphitheater that went on and on to the back where when you'd walk on the stage, you felt like Minnie Mouse because there were so many people. People would rent umbrellas if it was raining and they'd come with a picnic and hike up to the back of the theater to their seats. It was just so huge. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't more exciting than doing a show that's working in a small club with, uh, you know, a, a very intimate handful of people. If they're laughing, if they're applauding, if they're having a great time when it's working, it's working and it's, and it's a wonderful feeling. Of course. So um, you mentioned that you help people with coaching and helping them, uh, you know, advance their career. And whatnot. Is there any specific person or people that you experienced throughout your life who have helped you a lot in, in advancing your career? Wow, I, I've I've had so much help along the way. I I'm very lucky because I wasn't a person who went to school a lot for what I did. I was kind of in the earn while you learn. When I was graduating from high school, my parents said, and I was lucky enough that I was getting, I you know, was offered scholarships because of my acting talent. And uh, but I wanted to work, and 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 I just went to work, and I started learning on my feet. And so I would say I was very lucky because I was influenced by the directors that I got to work with. And the first director I ever worked with, it was a show called Floor of the Red Menace. Liza Minnelli was the star. I was her understudy. The director's name was George Abbott. And he, it was his 110th Broadway show. And he is known for being one of the original fathers of the American musical theater. And he had so much faith in me that I was up for the lead for six months and wound up understudying the lead and having a small part in it. And he was really good at knowing comedy and knowing musical theater. And he was very stern. He wasn't fun or funny. In fact, he would kind of like move you. If you didn't remember where you were supposed to be on stage and you were in the wrong place, he'd come up and do that kind of thing that a parent can do where they grab your arm with two fingers and kind of move you and it doesn't, it hurts. Mm -hmm. It's like you are here. But I learned. I learned from him. He was strict and old school, but I learned from him a lot. 
Uh, I had a director. I was in the original company of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. I don't know if you know that show. Yeah. And there's Lucy and Patty, and I stood by for both girls the first year of the run of that. And that director's name was Joe Hardy. And he knew how to get a laugh back. He'd come in, and I would sit there because I was the understudy, so I, I would... I was really right there just listening to what he'd say, and I would watch the show often just to make sure I knew what to do when the girls were out. And he, the minute a laugh was gone, he would come in and he would say, wait one more beat, then turn your head, then say the line. And whatever he told them, you'd watch the show that night and the laugh would be back. And he was just a genius at orchestrating that. So, and I had a director, I worked on a show called, uh, by Lanford Wilson called Hot El Baltimore. And the writer's name was Lanford Wilson. And he's a great American playwright and I was lucky enough to work with him and have him work with me on the part. And, I learned a lot from him, but the guy who was the director's name was John Sticks, who was a teacher of method acting, who believed very strongly in the Stanislavski method, and I had never studied that. But when I worked with him, I said, can you help me? Once we're up and running and you're here in town, I would love to learn more about this method. And he was very kind, and there was another girl who felt the same way. Her name was Heather McRae, and he would give us little acting classes while we were working with him in the show. And so I, it, it, there are many other examples that go on and on. Um, now I often learn from the people that I have coached. By watching them, I learn something new from each person that I work with. Um, so I would say that I've had, I've had very specific mentors but they've mostly been the people that I work with. My husband is my writing mentor. He knows, he knew how to do all of that. I didn't know anything about writing. I just had instincts and, uh, and ideas and I learned so much more from him. So it's, you know, it's been the people that I've encountered along the way. I've really learned a lot from. And as I say, as I get older, I think the, that the young are mentors to the old now in a lot of ways because the world we're in now is your world and the fact that I am now uh, I don't know whether your listeners would know this because they're not looking at me so I'll tell you that I just turned 72 years old and so at this point I feel like I'm just very fortunate to have a glimpse into the future of how it is and you guys are the future and so for me, it's like I'm learning this world as it is now from you. I don't think I know it all. Same thing with my own children. I don't feel like I can tell them how to function in the world ahead. I could tell them what to do 25 years ago, but they can tell me what to do in the years ahead. And you know how that is, because I'm sure that you've, you guys have tried to help your grandparents work their computer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? A little bit of lawnmower, too. Yeah. So, you know, we need you to be our guides at this point and lead us into the future. And that's one of the things that's so exciting, because if all you're doing is putting out all the time, you get exhausted. Mm -hmm. But I'm always taking in. I'm always uh, open and welcome to the energy and the ideas and the new changes and the things that are to come. And I feel like I'm just really blessed, not to sound corny, but I feel blessed 
that I had the opportunity to have this window into the future now as long as I do. And I want to be active within it and, and, and work with the people. It's like, I don't want to just teach. I want to learn while we earn as we continue, even if we're not earning anything. (laughs) Just doing the work is really the the biggest payoff. Mm -hmm. It's the biggest reward is just being able to do what you love. So back to your coaching career, Um, as difficult as acting is, uh, I imagine teaching people how to act is a lot more difficult. So I'm just wondering, what was the... What was it that you were doing that other people weren't doing for acting coaching? Okay. Uh, you know, I don't think I was a genius as an acting teacher of groups, although, you know, I could do that. Uh, but the thing that I was good at was working with individuals because I could see what was they what was standing in their way and then help them to remove that on a very individual level. Um And because I think that the people that I would work with would feel that I respected them, I would be in a position where I could correct what they were doing uh, in in a more loving way so that they didn't get more frightened and fall further back into the bad habits. And a lot of the time, I think it would be kind of simple. You know, I I would get notes from a network saying, you know, whatever it would be, you know, I hate the way he goes, <laughs> all the time or something. Like, all you have to do really is if you know the person and you're respectful, say, cut the <laughs> right here, get it out. And, you know, they might not know they were going to do it, but I'd hear it. And I'd say, get rid of that. Just take that out. And they do it for me where they wouldn't do it for a director in front of, you know, a crew of a hundred people. And it would be, just make them feel uncomfortable and self-conscious but, you know, the main things that you need to be able to do are relax and focus. Um, I, I was, I've, I've coached people in plays, which are really my, my home ground and my favorite place. But really on camera, it's being able to also be the eyes for the performer, for them. I might be working for the studio, but my heart is with the actor who's out there. And I know what their best is. And I know when they've got it, and I know when they're off it. I mean, even at the Frankfurt 48, I won't say who it was. It wasn't you. There was someone there that I really respect as a young filmmaker. And I knew that this wasn't the best work that would come from this person. And that was, it's a disappointment to me when I see it. But that doesn't make me disrespect the person. You can't hit a home run every single time, and you've got to take the risks and, and, and do what you can with what is available now. But I would, having rehearsed people, I would know when they were doing their best and be able to say, it's not going to get better than this. Let's go with this. Or give me a minute. Let me go in and talk and see what I can get here. And... And so a lot of it came out of those kind of relationships. On camera, you really don't have a chance under the pressure of time. Time is money. And and you don't have the chance to rehearse before you work a lot of the time. And so I could fill that function. And sometimes by working with somebody on the other side of the scene, I could do things as the other character that would bring up things in them. You understand what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I think you would. I don't know if our listeners are not actors, if they know what I mean. But uh, if you're on the other side of the scene, let's just say, you know, you're playing my son and I'm playing your mother. If I uh, 
oh, this happened on, on this movie that we just shot in Frankfurt. I was playing the, the grandmother of, uh, of the girl who was the lead in the movie. And, and I, I knew, and I knew the director wanted to shake her up a little bit in a scene. So I did improvisations with her that as we were shooting, that would get her to feel a way she wasn't expecting to feel. Um, instead of starting the scene by just saying, it's so nice to be sitting here with you, now I haven't seen you all day, I would say, what have you been doing all day? I'll tell you what I've been doing. I've been taking care of your animals, cleaning your laundry, and she, she would be like, what? And it would suddenly shake her into spontaneity. It would maybe even make her cry. I hope it's okay that I'm, I'm sharing this for the actress that I'm talking about, but I won't say who it is. You might not even know what movie it is if you're listening to this, but, but that's the kind of thing that you can do to kind of free somebody up sometimes with improvisation so that they get out of their head, as we say in acting, and into their real emotional life. And so play with them. I, I would play with them and play with the scenes and make it fun. You know, so that so that they would feel freer, and I and I could be reassuring. And um, you know, it was a, I think I I had a good way of of getting people to trust me because I wouldn't lie to them. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that it was good when it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. um, and I think those are the kind of things. I also I think because I had been a writer for thirteen years, mm -hmm. I understood what the intentions of the writer work mm -hmm. sometimes better than a writer would because I've worked with writers a lot on helping them to bring more out of their work too. I really can coach writing, but it's not what I, what I was known for, but I can coach writing too so that I can find things in a scene that you might not find if you weren't a writer. Mm -hmm. So I had the writers, I knew what the writers wanted and very often I've had writers be the ones who say, I want Jamie on the set. You know, and in television, the writers are in charge a lot of the time. They're the executive producers of the show. And they would say, I can't be there, but I want Jamie to be there because she knows what the scene is. And once you know, then you know what you're trying to get. And you're not kind of shooting in the dark and you know what the person can do. And so you go in and you get it. A lot of the time it's as simple. I had one girl once who was a... Uh, uh, she was a Slovenian model. Wow. Gorgeous looking girl. And she was, they had a four, four episode arc for her to play in this series. And she, they called me on the first day that, that she was working and said, they would call it a 911, get over here. We want to know whether she's going to do the, all four of these because we're not getting what we need on day one. And I went over and I realized that the director, was kind of intimidating for her. For one thing, it was her second language. And another was that she, they, you know, people can act like it's a model, not an actress. She doesn't know what she's doing. And they were, and, and she was so beautiful that I think this director was kind of intimidated by her in a way and didn't want to tell her what to do. Whereas I would tell somebody what to do because I knew that they were up there wishing somebody could explain what they needed rather than having this sense that people weren't getting what they wanted. 
Anyway, so it would be something, something even as simple as them saying, is there some way we can bring up her level? In other words, get her louder. It's like, yeah, I can do that. And it's like, go in and say, louder. You know, but they're afraid <laughs> yeah. to touch it. Totally. They're way afraid to touch it. So I, I uh, with this girl, she trusted me. Mm-hmm. And I could be partly because I went in and said, don't let anybody intimidate you because you're a model. You know more about yourself on camera than most actors do. You know what this is going to look like. You know, you, you have a much better visual sense than most actresses do. So you've got strengths that other people may not have. This may not be your first language, but you're looking fabulous. Now it's just a matter of me helping you. And, and, um, and a couple of things happened. One was when I said, when they said they wanted to keep me on and the, the studio said, I asked how much I was going to charge, and I told them. And they said, um, <laughs> they laughed, and I didn't say anything. And they laughed again. I didn't say anything. They said, well, tell me, really? I said, no, that's it. And they said, you're asking for more than the actress is getting paid. And I said, well, then, I guess you're not getting the deal that you thought you were going to get. But it's evened itself out. You're paying her for her looks, and you're paying me for her performance. So now you've got it all, and it's costing you what it what it costs, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's just... And by the way, I never thought, you know, because I deserve it, mm-hmm. I never feel like that. I just thought, that's what I need. Mm-hmm. And if this is what my family needs right now, this is what I'm going to... This is what I'm going to ask for because they have plenty at the studio, so I'm going to do this. But anyway, the other thing that happened was that she wound up having the biggest part through the whole season, not just the four episodes. Wow. And the girl who was her competitor in the triangle of it, they had me coaching her too because the audiences started rooting for her more than anybody, and she got really, really good. So. That's how it would work. It would be that kind of thing. That kind of explains the the process and you know what I could bring, I guess, to it. Wow. So um, we, it's four sixteen. Okay. Uh, you promised us an hour. Um, yeah. We can wrap it up if you want. For, yeah, I think we should um, All right. soon. Um, do you want me to say anything else before we finish? Uh, anything about here, you, or? Or what you're doing, or who your audience is, or anything I can... Um, I guess we could talk a bit more about the Frankfurt 48. Uh, I was impressed this year by the quality of some of the videos. Uh, One of my favorites was the one about the robot. Yes. Yeah, what was that one called? It was like Model 19 or something? It was something 9, Alien 9. Model 9, I think. Model 9, yeah, that was the one. Very interesting. And had you seen their work from last year as well? Um, were they the ones that did the, uh, I think the first place one with the, like, it was like based on a myth? Uh, that was, those were the guys who did Aramis, the the, the other one. But there, there's, there's a similarity to the work that those guys do. And it's, I think, if I'm remembering correctly too, it's, it's fresh in my mind. But, uh, you know, we, we, we saw all 16 movies (laughs) yesterday and had the event last night. In fact, next year, I think we've been talking about maybe having them turned in, giving us a little longer with it, and the next day doing it so that we have a chance to really uh, have a little more time with the material so that we can speak to people about it more. You know, the way that we, um, the way that we judge is that the people who are the judges 
Don't just say, I pick this one for number one. I pick this. We have a whole sheet with criterion, which are given to the contestants, filmmakers, let's say. And we have to give a number value to each specific category. And then at the end, and you can't help but sometimes think, oh, I, I'm giving so many big numbers to this one, and it's not really my favorite movie in here, but it, but you, there really are specific criteria. And, you know, there are certain things, too, like you know that it's in a 48 festival. You really should not come in knowing what you're going to do. <laughs> you should come in clean. And sometimes you have a real sense that this is an idea that somebody put together and then fit the elements in, you know, for those who don't know that are listening, at the 48, the filmmakers are given three things they have to include. This year, it was the pl a place, which was Bluffs uh, on Lake Michigan, uh, a line from another movie, which was You Had Me at Hello from Jerry Maguire, and the prop was a fish. So sometimes you can kind of look at it and know somebody just had the idea and then stuck a fish in there, yeah. you know. Um, so it, it, it's a little different than you would think it is, but by the time the numbers get added up, it often comes out to be surprisingly so that the movies that really are have, have, have come through and being of great value are, uh, are the ones that most appeal to us to begin with. But, um, yeah, next year I think we're going to take a little more time with that. But, yeah, the one about uh, that was very interesting. I like yeah. the parts where, uh, and it depends on what genre you like, too. You know? right. I'm not the biggest sci-fi fan, um, but I try not to let that stand in the way as a judge. Uh, but there were things that I really liked about that. I particularly liked it when they were working on her, when they were doing, you know, screwing yeah. her brains in or whatever they were doing all of these things removing her thoughts and changing her that was a it was a very interesting concept uh yeah that was a good one yeah i like how they did the uh the operating thing because it's a tricky thing to do with a concept like that where like you know it has to be some kind of special effect but you have a zero dollar budget yes so i think the way that they did it with having like all of the parts that they were working on like just out of view, I think yeah. that made it work pretty well. Yeah, they did. Instead of trying to maybe like have some kind of computer-generated graphic yeah. on screen, I just think that it's a tricky thing to do, getting effects yeah. like that done. Um, well, it was really exciting to see what you did, because you, we had that special category for you last year, uh, which really was not one of the prizes that was offered and it actually didn't happen this year it was really only for you but that where you we gave you notes and you came back with a stronger short film than the one that you brought this year but the same material that was really cool to see i think you saw last year jess jacklin who took the one that she did the first year and then turned it into a commercial so that she could put it on her commercial reel uh, it was the prop in that one was a bicycle, and yeah, she made a bicycle. I remember that one. She made a bicycle commercial out of it, and is now using it. And you know she's getting work uh, as a as a commercial producer now too. So, yeah, it's it's. I, I'm very excited about the festival and being a part of the 48. I, I think it it not only helps the people who are there, but I think it's enlivening the whole. Uh, 
film community in Michigan. Um, I could feel it when I did this feature here a month ago, which I think is going to be a really good movie, and and drew on. It was like I had a terrible wound in it, and the woman who did the special effects makeup was from Detroit and always does that, is very specifically a makeup artist who does that. I thought this is so great that they have people right here who are just waiting and ready to go. And the more is that they're able to do here, the better it is. And I think the 48 really, really encourages and hones the skills of the young filmmakers here. Yeah, there's talent everywhere. And I think it's really an amazing thing now that it's easier to find it. Yes. Like with the internet and with more local film festivals and film contests. And I just think it's a very fortunate thing. Because like you were talking about back in the day, you had to move to a big city to find work or to, you know, get discovered. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, now you can just put something on YouTube and then if enough people see it, if it's good enough, then you can get a TV show out of it. Yeah, or YouTube. you You can perform for stadiums. Yes, YouTube. I worked with some girls a couple of years ago in the YouTube studios in Los Angeles. What a fascinating place that was. I don't know whether you guys know what this is like, but I had no idea. Again, this is me getting a glimpse into the future. I know, you know, we're all familiar with what the Paramount gates look like because they're always in the movies, and that's where I did Grease, and I'm, that's the kind of studio I'm used to. But when I went to the YouTube studios, just cool things like a see-through floor, that has all of the electrics and cords and everything that's being used in the building that you're looking at while you're walking on it. Um, uh, every Friday there, they would have an incredible party where they bring in bring, all food trucks and stuff, and they bring in fun, new, cutting-edge things. When I was there, it was you know not so cutting-edge now, but it was, uh, I guess six years ago to me that's a short time and they had everybody this is like step out of the studio where you're working and they have all these google glasses oh, that yeah. you can try out yeah. <laughs> you know what they are uh, yeah. yeah those little yeah, yeah. Little sci-fi visors yeah with the visors yeah. and the computer in the glass so that you're seeing things and this is like usually i'm used to you know you walk out of the sound stage and what you might see in the old days was you know some Donuts and uh, coffee. People smoking cigarettes outside the stand. Oh, I know. I not any, not anymore. Oh. Now it's like step outside and put on some Google glasses. You know, <laughs> it was it was it was really incredible. And the people who get to use those are the ones who have all the hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones who get a lot of attention to their to the work they're doing. This in this case, it was it was a bunch of girl singers and. Um, they had been picked up by Subway Sandwiches, I think, became their um, their sponsors, which is, you know, that never used to exist either. But they, but, but they, we did a series, we worked on a series there right in those YouTube studios, and it cost them nothing to be there. And they had access to all the best of everything because they had been able to draw that attention. And they didn't live in, Cal- in well, they did live in California, but it was up in the Central Valley or someplace that you'd think, how would they ever get anywhere near this kind of equipment? But 
Yeah. yeah not even not just the technology is changing, but also like the economy totally. of like the performance industry yeah. is changing. Because now you can get sponsorships online for your video, oh, for your YouTube videos, totally. and you can make a living off of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't have to like hope that you get a movie role and get a good contract with that. You can just get sponsored by someone online and then do what you want to do online, totally. and you can live off of it, mm-hmm. and you can do what makes you happy. And well, I hope you guys do this because you've got what it takes, and you seem to know how to do it. Figure that out. Figure it out as you go along because, it, it, you know, it's not a matter of learning how we did it. It's a matter of learning how you're going to do it and doing it in a new way. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, you're really equipped to, to have wonderful careers. And yeah. I'm hoping that you guys will put me in your movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, I haven't I'll told think you, about it. Um... I haven't told you much about Gavin, but he's uh, another student in my film class. Mm-hmm. And he has a, like a movie concept idea that he's been fleshing out for how long now? Oh, over a year now. Yeah, you should. By this point, oh, tell, tell me about, tell about, it. about it's, it. It's based off of this idea that eventually human, the human race is going to leave this planet and go somewhere else. Um, and the basis is like companies start going out into space, and uh, they decide to start breaking some legal rules. And the governments of Earth are like, you can't break those rules. I want them to let like, me help them make this. <laughs> And, um, you know, these companies that are on, like, Mars and stuff are like, well, we're half a million miles away, so come and stop us, you know? Yeah. And they basically make their own government and... They're outlaws. They're outlaws, essentially, but it's like, it's organized crime with the government. So they they just make their own government, you know? And, um, you know, it just, this idea started with just my fascination of space and astronomy and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. And also my fascination of government and how, you know, this burgeoning... Uh, economy of, of space travel could digress into something that's much, much larger than we can actually fathom at the moment. Right. You know, we have SpaceX launching stuff into orbit right now. Um, and they're a private company. They're completely, they're, they're their own entity, you know? But what happens if they go to Mars and they say, hey, we don't want to follow these rules anymore. We're doing our own thing. You know? Yeah. How does that digress? And I, I fleshed this storyline and plot out uh, around that concept. Well, it's a great concept. Thank it sounds you. really exciting. Yeah. I can't wait to see the characters because I hope there'll be a little old lady with a lot of power. <laughs> I've seen them working on storyboards for like yeah. trailers for it, and it great. looks like a pretty cool thing. Just the practical effects are great. He has like the whole act one, act two, act three, like Good. sorted out. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Yeah. Well, get out there and do it, guys. And maybe you'll do uh, the 48 next year, too. Perhaps. I'm, uh, I've graduated high school and everything, and I'm heading off to college next year. So in terms of, like, long-term time and what I have going You don't on, know what you're going to do. I'm not quite sure, but yeah. I might do a film class in college. Um, Where are you going to go? At NMU in the UP. Oh, I was actually God. born up there anyway, so I'm just going Great. back home. Oh, it's so beautiful here. It's so here. beautiful here in Marquette, and it's just amazing. Oh, it's so beautiful here. I haven't been up to the UP. When I worked in Whitehall, Montague, we would come up to Traverse City to a tent, red and white tent, where we would do musicals. Uh, so I even had worked in a little bit of Traverse City, but I haven't gotten... Well, I I know I'm sleeping bare is as far as I've gotten, nice. but I want to get up to the UP. And well, um, if you ever make it up there, Marquette, I highly recommend it. Um, great city, great town. It's a college town, so there's like amazing energy energy there. Ah, my and husband will love that. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great, and um, the you know it, the views and the food and the people 
everything meshes together so beautifully and perfectly. Um, and where do you live? Where do you live up until then? Are you right here? Uh, I'm I'm living in Traverse City now. We moved from Marquette to Traverse City in 2012. Um, You're ready for back to Marquette. You know, my parents are like, you know, are you ready for college? You're gonna be okay. And I'm like, Mom, Dad, I'm just going back home. Yeah, I lived there oh, for 12 great. years. You know, great. I know where things are. Great. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, I'm super excited. Um, especially, to, I hate to say this, but I'm excited to be out of high school now. Oh, for now sure. The world is like my thing that I can just play around with. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. deadlines are only things that I set up for myself or that I sign up for. Well, both of you guys seem to have a really good sense of who you are and what you want to do. And that's, you know, yeah, I think even in today when people are in some ways more mature, mm-hmm. it's a great advantage. I had that too. And it just gave me such a head start because I knew earlier I wasn't trying to figure it out when I was in my 20s. You know, I knew what it was. It was just a matter of doing it, achieving it, and not taking no for an answer mm-hmm. and staying on it and staying with it. You've heard all those stories about how, like, I forget how many studios turned down Star Wars before oh, it oh, yeah. got picked up. Totally. and. Uh, Stephen's friends knew knew two writers who had written some other movies and been at USC with George Lucas, and he came in. He just was discouraged; couldn't get anybody to. And he said, "I, we, you know, I finally have got something. Some, I'm finally going to be able to do this. Can you guys come in and write some stuff and help us strengthen the script?" And I think they had seven lines that that wound up in the movie. But you can imagine, he said. I forget the story exactly, but it was something like, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give you a point. And they went downstairs to, you know, just write up a contract between themselves. And it was like, one of the guys said, oh, make it, make it a point and a half, which seemed like nothing, but mm-hmm. it turns out to be something extraordinary. But mm-hmm. the point is that he was turned down over and over and mm-hmm. over again. And you just have to have the heart to, it isn't even about, confidence I don't think in yourself I think it's the heart to not think it is about you but to think it is it's not about whether you're good or whether you're bad or good enough or bad enough it's just what you do and when you do what you do that's when it works I'm trying to think of the name of the director do you know the movie Nebraska Um, okay this guy does very regional stuff and it's really good work and I, I, he, he draws on what it is that he knows. Now you have great imagination so that you can draw on what you totally. can imagine. Totally. But you can find your own signatures in the stuff that you do well and mm-hmm. not give up on that. You know, so. Definitely. So good luck. Now, are you Thank wanting you. me to sign this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Happy to do that. You can sign it uh, there where your picture is. Okay. And I'm going to put your name on it. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, because this is for you. Sometimes, you know, I autograph and people want them for collectors and to sell them. And I don't oh, think you're, yeah, there's no way you're not selling these. Yeah. This is for you. That's just cheap, you know. <laughs> yeah. But then I'm charged. <laughs> <laughs> for the listeners at home, I brought my copy of the Grease soundtrack, oh, the, yeah. the record. Okay. And so you were telling us earlier about how the uh, the picture on the back of the album was really hard to get set up, <laughs> yeah. put together. Yeah. 
because it was it it wasn't just about balancing on each of each other's shoulders and getting everybody into the picture. It was that the publicists knew how much of a percentage of the space could be taken by each actor, depending on their billing and their deals and that kind of thing. Um, okay, so I wrote. Can you read it? Uh, keep up the good work. You got it. I love it. Okay. Thank you so much. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Good luck. Good luck to both of you. I know I'm going to see you again. <laughs> I know it. I know it. Next year at this festival, if not sooner. Of course. Okay, good.